turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There's never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. You know, I wanted to talk about COVID today. We, we have to still talk about it. It's out there. It's a thing. It's had some silver linings, for back of a, lack of a better term. I mean, we've discovered some things. We've uh, not even just about the disease itself, but about schools, teachers, teachers' unions. There's been a lot of discovery over the last two years. And at the forefront, a lot of the thinking has been Dr. Marty McCary of Johns Hopkins, and he joins us now. And I'm so grateful that he's willing to give us some time. He is uh, a best-selling author. The book, The Price We Pay, has been read by so many people, and everybody lauds it. Dr. McCary, thank you so much. I'm wondering what prompted you to write The Price We Pay about our broken health care system. Well, good to be with you, Michelle. You know, challenging a lot of the dogma in medicine is not unique to COVID. We need to do it in a lot of areas. We need to talk about food as medicine. We need to talk about the environmental exposures that cause cancer, not just the chemotherapy to treat it. And we've got to restore the dignity of caring for people. So a lot of that is the basis of the book, The Price We Pay. And we address price gouging in medicine. If you remember, not too long ago, that was the number one issue in America was the cost of medical care. So there's some good things happening. And ultimately, I'm optimistic about the future of healthcare, And the book outlines why. Well, that that makes me happy to know that you're optimistic <laughs> about it. I think there are many people who are not. What makes you optimistic? A couple things that make you think, yeah, we are going to change this and head in the right direction. Well, we've got clinics now that are saying to the doctors, look, you don't need to be on this treadmill of the billing throughput cycle of seeing patients in 10 minutes, throwing meds at people. We should be talking more about using cooking classes to treat diabetes rather than throwing insulin at people and managing high blood pressure with stress management and um, sleep medicine rather than just throwing meds at people. So we can keep throwing medications at people and doing procedures, but people are now realizing there's a whole person to address, and there's no word to describe this new movement in medicine. Holistic care doesn't capture it. Preventive medicine doesn't capture it. We call it the redesign of healthcare. It's exciting. It's alive and well, and it's driven by a lot of disruptors. I like that. Disruptors. Are, <laughs> do you see a lot of young disruptors coming up? Because I, I felt like after 
Obamacare, I'll just call it that. Once that passed, you saw a lot of frustrated doctors. You saw med school students going, is this even going to be worth it for me? It has, is that part changing? Are you sound enthusiastic? Is that carrying over to a lot of uh, medical professionals? For a lot of young physicians and doctors, yes. They're, they're basically saying, look, this is not what I signed up for. We're done. We're rejecting the entire healthcare system as it's been handed to us. Remember, this broken system is not one that we designed. It's one we inherited. And they're starting from scratch. And they're saying, we need to talk about school lunch programs as often as we talk about bariatric gastric bypass surgery for obesity. And so we're seeing this new movement driven through a sort of financial model of capitating or giving an annual subscription or a salary, flat salary to doctors to get them off the treadmill of just doing stuff and creating a system that rewards quality and not just quantity. Oh, amen to that. <laughs> well, you, you talk about medications and the first word that comes to my mind is vaccines. And there has been this kind of almost cult-like approach to you must be vaccinated, you must be vaccinated, you must be boosted. I mean, when you see Stephen Colbert devote a whole segment to dancing vaccine people, you start to think, what, 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 a, this is weird. You know, this is, <laughs> this is kind of a, this is strange. I, but, and, and I think I'll just take my brother, for example, decided he was not going to get vaccinated. He did get COVID. He was sick for a good couple of weeks. This was early in, in the pandemic but he is so confident in his immunity now. He's not alone. There are a lot of people who just don't want to take this vaccine and they've got their natural immunity. Why is this being denied by so many people? Why isn't natural immunity an accepted form of immunization? Well, I think there's a couple factors. Number one is there's a very suspicious relationship right now with a couple big pharma companies, not the entire industry, a couple companies and the federal government, the FDA and the CDC. It's, it's very bizarre. CDC, for example, the Pfizer applied for fourth doses in people over 65. The FDA granted the authorization for everyone over 50. They gave Pfizer more than they asked for. Um, it's very suspicious. Now, I actually think most of our people, Dr. Fauci included, have good intentions, but they are just bringing significant biases and you know what? Part of diversity is age diversity. And we've got a few old guys making all the decisions. And a younger generation, my generation in medicine, is much more practical, much more driven by a sense of focusing on what's important and not getting distracted in the dogma. And so we don't have these allegiances. And I think some of the biases of the old folks were that, first of all, they're all HIV doctors. All these people making the decisions, Fauci, Walensky, they're HIV doctors. Well, in HIV, there's no natural immunity. In HIV, they said repeatedly, Dr. Fauci repeatedly said, everybody is at risk, suggesting the risk is equally distributed in the population. And I think those biases led to this tragic error of ignoring the data that the risk is 100,000-fold different in a young, healthy person than it is in an older, comorbid person. And so when you didn't recognize that distribution, that's when I knew things were gone. You know, there were two milestone moments for me in this pandemic. One is they canceled the masters. Then I knew we had lost our minds. We had basically not recognized that outdoors was safe. We were discouraging healthy activities that are important in preventing disease, including COVID. 
We were not allowed to talk about obesity, but yet we told people to stay in their homes. They gained 17 pounds on average. And these are healthy athletes, you know, and playing the masters. And the second was a Stanford student did a study looking at bicyclers in Palo Alto. 46% were wearing a mask while bicycling outside, but only 17% were wearing a helmet. And this student got the idea because they saw a bicycler biking against traffic in a construction zone with AirPods in and flip-flops on and no helmet, but they were wearing a mask. And that is a failure of our leadership to communicate risk. There's a distorted perception of risk out there, and we still see it, dangling risks of long COVID in children when we we know that is not an appreciable risk. What motivates this. This is what is frightening to a lot of people. When you say that the FDA gives Pfizer more than it asked for, when these Dr. Fauci went all over the map, I wish we could have diagrammed his, his uh, approach to masking. And, you know, this stuff to what is this money related? Everyone always says, follow the money. I mean, is this something between big pharma and government that that someone's making a lot of money here? Well, certainly Big Pharma has had a one-hammer approach to a lot of this stuff. If you look at convalescent plasma, remember early in the pandemic, there yeah. was this, you know, donate blood. Well, that works because there's antibodies and you're giving people antibodies. As soon as Big Pharma came up with a new patented, newly FDA-approved pharmaceutical version of antibodies called monoclonal antibodies, yeah. you never heard about convalescent plasma again, even when there were shortages and we ran out of monoclonal antibodies because no one gets rich off of donated blood. <sighs> and same thing with fluvoxamine. Here's a medication that had been used for decades for depression, re- um, reduced COVID hospitalizations by 90%, significantly reduced deaths. It was a generic. It cost about seven bucks. Two randomized controlled trials showing strong benefit published in our top medical journals, no data to the contrary, this is not one of the controversial meds. And yet NIH oddly concluded in a bit of an analysis that it should not be given for COVID. No one made, no one knew what to make, make of that. It was clearly something fishy. It would be unethical to do more research on some of this stuff because the data is so overwhelming. And a lot of it is just the concentration of power. Dr. Fauci is a very kind man, by the way. He has been charming and Um, sort of functioning as a de facto leader of the medical establishment for 30, 40 years. He'll send a thank you note when you meet him. He's supportive of every kind of research in, you know, in word. And what we've had really was this person who's charmed the medical community, I think probably has something to contribute to the discussion, but he has been singularly setting the tone. And when he says something, every single person falls in line. If he doesn't talk about Paxlovid, the antiviral medication that works. No one talks about it. So he's had this one approach. By the way, we saw it when HIV hit. HIV hit and Dr. Fauci incessantly talked uniformly about a vaccine for HIV. He's a vaccine guy, but he brings that bias. So I think we we just had too much concentration of opinion. The media didn't help. They had when he should have been in the lab figuring out in 24 hours when the pandemic hit, Is it airborne or spread from touching surfaces? In other words, do we tell people to be careful with the airborne transmission or wash your hands like crazy? We could have gotten that answer in 24 hours. He didn't do that. He went on every media network with an FCC license. 
And for months, that was an open question. And we gave people false security. They went and saw their loved ones, washed their hands like crazy and gave them COVID. This is a failure of government. It's not a failure of science. It's a high concentration of power. And every media outlet celebrated him as the nation's top infectious diseases doctor. I don't know how you get that title, the top. I, I'm, you know, will, <laughs> yeah. will media give me that title for something I've done? He's actually a rheumatologist, never did an infectious diseases fellowship. I mean, th- this is so damning. And uh, I, it became, like I said, I keep using this word cult-like, but this cult of science believers pointing at anybody who questioned them as a science denier, I got called that, for for looking at other options, for look, listening to other people besides Dr. Fauci. A, a neighbor not far from me has a sign, sign in their yard that says in Fauci, we trust. I got in a in a in a Uber <laughs> car the other day and the guy had a Fauci thing hanging from his rearview mirror. It became almost it became idolatry, if we can call it that. And, and it didn't deserve to be. And I just wondered why there wasn't more diversity of thought here. And so, like you said, a, a concentration of government power, which is, again, it has bred, Dr. McCary, so much mistrust in these, in the FDA, in the NIH, in the CDC, in the WHO, which I know you served in leadership there. What does the WHO, the World Health Organization, have to redeem itself or to where do they need to be blamed in all of this, do you think? Well, Michelle, I agree 100% with what you're saying, because when the public were asking important questions, how does it spread? Do masks work? When are you most contagious? How long do I have to quarantine for? The correct answer from the CDC and the WHO should have been, we don't know. Okay, we're going to try to find find out quickly. Instead, you saw this sort of propagation of dogma. We've got them asking questions. We, you know, there's this concentration of power. And so they've lost credibility. And the only thing they can do now is swap out the leadership entirely, make an apology and start over. You know, there are a lot of scientists that have offered this sort of other counter opinion. Many of them now have been vindicated. Some of them live at the FDA's own vaccine advisory committee. But that committee of, in my opinion, true vaccine experts, this is Paul Offit from CHOP. This is Eric Rubin, editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine. This is Cody Meisner, head of pediatric infectious diseases in Boston. These are doctors who are true experts. They were basically blowing the whistle saying, whoa, 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 we cannot vaccinate our way out of this thing. We cannot be giving eternal boosters every three and six months, which you would need to do to maintain those antibody levels. And so the FDA chose, probably on the instruction of the sort of centralized decision-making, to, for the first time, unprecedented, not convene the FDA Advisory Committee on Vaccines before major decisions, bypass them, don't have them vote as they normally do. You had the vaccine experts in the media saying, look, Paul Offit, for example, he's saying he's not boosting his 20-something-year-old. And yet the FDA just recently authorized boosters for 5 through 11-year-olds based on a study of 140 kids in that age group with no outcomes. It didn't, it showed the booster was not effective. It just showed you bumped the antibodies. The public is saying enough is enough. Only 28% of kids in that age group are vaccinated. Now the the, uh, CDC and FDA want you to boost them. I mean, look at the discussion at that 
CDC meeting where they pushed the boosters for five through 11 year olds. They said, and you know, this is a direct quote from one of them. They were basically, it was like a marketing meeting. They were saying, we need to do this because it makes it simpler for people to understand whether or not they should, you know, they don't have to figure out what age group, they just boost everybody. And Dr. Brooks, one of the members said, they were debating, should they say young people may get a vaccine, vaccine booster or should get a vaccine booster? And he says, I, uh, if we say should, more people will get boosted. Then we will have more data that helps us really define where we are going. Oh. I mean, this is how these decisions get made. And sure enough, as soon as the FDA and CDC pushed this, schools and summer camps overnight made this mandatory. They should know that the true experts were not convened. They were not on board. They're against it. And that was the level of discussion that took place at the uh, CDC. People should take a stand and stand up. Yeah. Yeah. People should take a stand and stand up. And I want to get to more of that, the how we do that and the how we overcome the media bias and so forth in just one second. Real quick message from Legacy Precious Metals and then back to Dr. McCary. Friends, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted, but gold, gold has been on the rise. Now, gas prices are insane. Inflation's even worse than it was a year ago. Uh, The stock market is extremely volatile. And now we have this war between Russia and Ukraine that could spread to the rest of the world. I will tell you this, the markets do not like instability. The good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust for investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while there is still time. Remember 2008? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains while others lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all your options for investing in gold and silver. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-528-1903. That's 866-528-1903 or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Dr. Marty McCary is my guest. He leads efforts to improve the health of communities, focusing on the redesign of healthcare. We're so grateful that there is a sane, rational voice in the discussion of COVID and other issues facing us in the medical community. And I've seen Dr. McCary so often and and read his op-eds and have become a big fan because, again, it's rational. It's a rational approach. And where we left off a minute ago, Dr. McCary, was that people need to stand up. That and it's so strange. I'm just in my little community of people that I know who have kids that my children play with, etc. They're all about the science, following the science. And therefore, you know, is your child boosted? I don't know if I want my child hanging around your child. My kids are so healthy. They have not had any sign of getting COVID. Knock one wood, I haven't had it. And I've been traveling all over the country for the last two years. Um, 
how do we stand up? What do we do when the overwhelming message from the media is to do whatever the FDA or the CDC tells us to do? Well, now we've got good studies to support challenging a lot of the dogma. If you look at masks in schools, a whole bunch of schools are going back here in, you know, we're in May 20, early June 2022. A bunch of school districts are going back to universal masks. When it comes to the fall, we're going to see cases bump up. That's okay. What matters is hospitalizations, not the number of people that have the common cold or mild illness. We now have the Catalina study showing masks don't work in young people. We have the Finnish study that carefully looked at cities with mask mandates and those without showed absolutely no difference. The only study that really promotes masking universally in schools is a CDC study that recently that data was acquired by researchers at University of California, Davis. They looked at a longer time period. They included more counties and found actually it shows absolutely no impact on transmission. There's all these studies that have come out. By the way, 80 to 90% of kids have had COVID. Natural immunity works. It's more effective than vaccinated immunity. I'm not saying you should try to get the infection, but that the data are now overwhelming. So when we talk to our school boards and our summer camp leaders, we can't let fear run the narrative because a myopic focus on just this one issue of COVID transmission at the expense of all other aspects of human health and well-being, instituting martial law against mild infection in young people has cost us a massive mental health crisis in children that we can't undo. We can't turn that switch off. And so ironically, we've got this mental health crisis and we're trying to figure out how to mop up the floor, but the spigot is still on. And so the question in 2020, the first year of the pandemic was, is the cure worse than the disease? Remember that debate? Yes, I do. (laughs) In kids under 18, we now have hard numbers that answer that question. Yes, the, the cure, the restrictions were worse than the actual infection. We had a bump of about 600 kids die from substance abuse that above the normal rate from the prior years. And that is now documented. It's on the CDC Wonder website. And we saw uh, math scores go down by 8 to 12 points on average in the United States. So we now have evidence of this mental health crisis, which, by the way, is going to keep going. For what? Because a small group of children suffered from COVID. We know who those kids were who suffered. It were not, they were not healthy kids. They were kids with comorbid conditions, kids in whom vaccination is important if they haven't had the infection in the past. Rather than use a targeted approach, we used a blanketed approach. And that's what I think people should stand up against. I I really hope people do. I hope anyone who listens to this takes this to heart. It it angers me so much. The first part of the, the, the pandemic, my kids obviously were two years younger than they are now. We went to our our another place in a warmer climate so we could get out of Minnesota where we live. And they went to school online and sat in their rooms all day long, looking at a little screen with kids spread out on a Zoom board and a teacher. And my son, it was so not good for him. 
Now, I'm happy to say he has bounced back incredibly well, and we worked very hard at that. But this was a scary time to see our son so despondent, you know, so uninvolved, uninterested in school, sad. You know, kids were communicating via text, via social media, and it was just the most negative time I can remember for him. And so, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that he has bounced back incredibly well. But as a country, you know, we need to care about the toll this took academically as well. And I just wonder if this group of kids that this this COVID generation, as they'll become to you know come to be known, I'm sure, will ever get back up to speed as a whole. I, I don't I'm not optimistic. Are you? Well, the untold story of the pandemic was its disproportional impact in poor and minority communities. You had basically a class of individuals that could go on Zoom. People like us, Michelle, you and I. Yeah. When we have our meetings, we could flip to Zoom. Come to inner city Baltimore and show me how some of those families switch to Zoom. It's, it, they, first of all, there's no bandwidth. Second of all, they don't have the devices. Third of all, when you look at the data... 5% roughly of people in uh, students in Baltimore City never logged on, ever. And when the classes went back to in-person, no one saw them again. One in 20 students we lost from these policies. Now, some data just came out nationally. 60% of low-income students logged on regularly for virtual. What about the other 40%? We lost a lot of those folks. So... We have a duty to rescue them, to identify them and bring them back. That should be the focus of our efforts now. But I think what you saw was sort of the classic elitism. And for all the people that posture that social um, equity is their prime purpose of academic study and the mission that drives their work, where was the outrage when this disproportionately affected minority and low-income communities? Um, Again, we don't know if any healthy person under 18 has ever died of COVID. The CDC won't tell us. We think it's a small fraction of those people, but nine times more kids died overall of all the COVID deaths of any one of six different causes that get almost no attention. What are those six? I thought you were going to list them. That's oh. <laughs> my pregnant pause. What, can you tell me the six? Yeah. Homicide, suicide. Um, the drownings in the United States, alcohol, substance abuse, and uh, one more I don't have in front of me. But, okay, that's so, all right. You make a, a phenomenal point that uh, it was as though, I mean, perfect was the enemy of the good in this thing. You know, it was, it was this, no, we can't afford to lose one person. Well, you know what? I agree. I, uh, one loss was heartbreaking for someone, some family, some group of people. I, I, I understand that. But when you throw this tarp over the whole country of this is what you have to do, no matter your age, no matter where you live, no matter, no matter, no matter, uh, it just, it was so counterproductive. And I, I hope we're seeing a sea change. I do think a lot of parents are standing up and saying no masks. I don't know if it's enough. I, 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 I love to share your optimism that it is. But when I see some of the, I think, is it, is it Philadelphia where they're putting masks back on kids in parts of New York? Yeah. Boston never took them off. Didn't matter uh, if you're triple vaccinated and have natural immunity. You've had to wear them all. The kids are sad. I mean, where are these experts right now? Talk to the kids they're sad. 
I mean, it would do, it's, not, it's not, this is not the riddle of the Sphinx trying to figure out where our mental health crisis is coming from. Um, so, I mean, I hope people can speak up. I can't tell you the number of doctors, pediatricians, colleagues at Johns Hopkins of mine that reach out privately and say, thank you. Please keep going. I don't feel comfortable speaking up. My boss will be upset. I'm worried about my job. I'm trying to get tenure. I applied for an NIH grant. I'm worried about the funds. Where is the um, public forum on this? It's been a challenge. Many of us that have spoken up have been bullied or pushed or threatened. And it takes someone who honestly does not care if we lose everything we've built in our careers to speak up. And that defines a bunch of us that have said, you know what, we got to speak and be scientifically objective here. Absolutely. And that's why I'm so grateful to you and your voice and anyone who joins you in this. Seriously, what you just said is why I quit my job in sports, because so many friends are, quote unquote, afraid to speak up, afraid to tell, you know, to to opine. My God, this is America. This is where that's your that's your constitutional right and that people are being damaged for it and punished for it and bullied for it makes me sick. And like you throw it at me. I don't care anymore. There's too much at stake. We've got to continue to bring these messages forward and, and, and for lack of a better uh, thought here, save this country and, and it's our ability to have this public forum one in which I hope that you continue to speak. Um, Last question is, again, about immunity. Uh, I just heard about a bunch of people who went over to Ireland to golf, some friends of friends, tested positive for COVID, couldn't come home, had to quarantine in their hotels for a week or whatever. When they do get home, now that they've had it, um, do they need to do anything more in terms of boosters? Or do you feel like that's the immunity for, for anyone who has had it. Boosting somebody who's had COVID is part of what I refer to as the second pandemic that has followed the COVID tragic COVID-19 pandemic. The second pandemic is the pandemic of lunacy because it absolutely is immunologically incompetent to suggest that somehow just adding more antibodies to an already activated and BNT cell immunity, which somehow, I don't know how this happened, BNT cells became Republicans and antibodies became <laughs> Democrats. I mean, many of us have are, are been politically independent our whole careers, and it's like, what is going on here? That's the pandemic of lunacy. We cannot boost ourselves out of this, and some have concerns about boosters, including leadership at the WHO. The pandemic of lunacy. That is, we are right in the middle of that right now. I feel it. Oh, my gosh. I am so grateful for you and the people around you who are willing to to have this discussion. Be so flat out honest. Uh, Let's stop this pandemic of lunacy. What is the cure? What is the cure for that? Just more discussion, I hope? Or We've got the data has now caught up with this dogma that's been put out. And now we've got to start using it powerfully. And there's lots of data out there. Power to the data. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Dr. McCary, again, thank you so much for joining us. I encourage everyone to read him at the Wall Street Journal, wherever else you can find him. Google him. uh, And it's M-A-K-A-R-Y. Am I right? Did I do it right? That's right. Thanks so much, Michelle. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you. And I'm, I'm sincerely grateful for your honest 
uh, approach to all of this and your 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 candid um, take on everything. It's just been terrific. Thank you. Likewise, feelings are mutual. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. 